Today's episode of Down to Dunk is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or amount minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to Robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co forward slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. I'm Deontay Burton, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Hamadou Diallo. Hey, I'm Danilo Gallinari. I'm Chris Paul, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Luke Dort, and I'm down to Dort. What's Dort? I'm not going to lie. I don't know what that was. In English, bro. I'm Darius Baisley, and I'm down to dunk. I'm Shake Gilchrist Alexander. I'm Steven Adams. I'm Andre Robinson, and I'm down to dunk. On you. Welcome to Down to Dunk. We are a part of The Athletic. Thanks for listening today. With me today is my good friend, Michele Barra. Michele, what's up? Well, I looked into The Athletic app on my phone, I think like 15 times. Yeah. The logo of Down to Dunk there looks <laughs> amazing. It does, doesn't it? Oh, yes. man. Very gmb for that. I just, it's still pretty surreal to open the athletic app and for our podcast to pop up automatically for us. So uh, just incredibly grateful for the opportunity. If you haven't subscribed to the athletic, go to theathletic.com and uh, subscribe. It's the best sports coverage that you can find online uh, for any major sport. So if you're into the NFL playoffs, you, uh, you do not want to miss that. Or if you're into the Oklahoma city thunder, Eric Horn wrote a great article on the athletic about last night's game that is uh, just it's worth worth your time and worth your money so go check it out today the thunder beat the calves and just a normal ho hum good team win on the road 121 to 106 the thunder had they have five guys in double figures uh, led by Dennis Schroeder with 22 points on 15 shots and uh, they just they just played well. Like they just they're just doing it again. And the only guy that didn't get in double figures that you would expect to was Chris Paul. Uh, he didn't have the great shooting night, and he only took nine shots. And it didn't matter because the Thunder just dominated the Cavs. Yeah, it was one of those nights that, to be honest, in OKC we haven't seen since like a while ago. Probably, I, uh, I mean, when when PG was rolling or, or or games like that, where basically OKC was just the better team from the tip-off to the end of the game. I mean, the Cavs opened the night with a hot shooting uh, first five minutes, but then calmly and surely OKC started to play very good basketball, start to hit shots. And by the second quarter, the game was basically over. Yep. And a good team on nights like that controls the game, never lets the opponent come too close and try to, tries to play their best players like Gallo less than 30 minutes. And OKC mm-hmm. achieved all of that mm-hmm. in Cleveland. Yep. 
Just an unbelievable performance from OKC. They they sit at twenty and fifteen now, <laughs> five games above five hundred. <laughs> They've run ten or nine out of their last ten games, and it's it's just a wild experience. On the season, their offensive rating is seventeenth at a one hundred eight point six. Their defensive rating is at their thirteenth at a one hundred seven point one. They're at a one point five net rating which they had been kind of hovering closer to zero, and now that is ticked up quite a bit. And so they're 13th in net rating. And I always like to look at the past. I mean, you look at those last 10 games where they've won 9 of 10, and they're fifth in net rating in the league at a 4.8. And then offensively, they're at their seventh at a 112.6. 112 number is pretty crazy, but is indicative of who they are. And then defensively, they said at 11th at a 107.9. So, I mean, this over the 10-game stretch, this has been a very, very good team. And they've played like it. I think there's a buzz around town in OKC. I mean, I can't go anywhere. If anybody recognizes me, like I was at church today, I don't know how many people stopped me and looked at me. They're like, hey, what's going on with the Thunder? Like, that's a good team again. What happened here? And, uh, you know, they are. And they've beat some good teams within that stretch, too. So it's not like they're just feasting on bad teams. They have they've just are playing really well. Yeah, and the fact that the, their defensive rating is not, like, in the elite of the NBA gives me hope for, for the next, I would say, month or two. Um, because I think that OKC has a next step to go defensively. Offensively, I'm not sure. Like... You cannot count on this team taking another leap offensively because they are already pretty good and they lack the elite offensive talent to really crack the top five, I think. Uh, but defensively, they can do a lot, especially if guys like Darius Paisley step up like they did last night or maybe if Lou Dort plays a little bit more or thanks to the re-addition of Hamidou Diallo, who is a much better defender than Abdul Nader. So I really think that that figure uh, that you mentioned, uh, the defensive rating, could crack or get uh, closer to the um, to the top 10 of the league. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree because they are bringing in good defenders. I mean, Baisley last night, some of the stuff that he did on both ends was really impressive. Uh, offensively, he showed like a patience about him that, he hadn't shown earlier in the season where he got on the fast break. He really could have forced something to the rim. He dribbled out and then he decided to drive from there and he got a, got a, a basket um, on the drive. And so to me, like that showed great patience, but also it wasn't like a non-aggressive move because sometimes those guys will dribble out because they're not aggressive enough, but it was a, it was a, one of those like correct decisions that you make while still being aggressive. Cause he showed that aggression afterwards in just a way that made more sense where he could actually get a good angle to the basket. Uh, and then defensively, some of the stuff that he did on Kevin Love, was just pretty, pretty amazing. Cause Kevin Love has never been a crazy athlete. who's just going to blow by people and, and stuff like that. He's been, he's always been a really smart, savvy player on the offensive end. Who's had a tremendous amount of success in the NBA and for Baisley to to catch him like he did uh, was pretty impressive. So his 20 minutes, he was 3 of 8 from the field, 1 of 1 from 3, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 9 points, 7 boards, an assist, a steal, and a block. I mean, he was 
he was really impressive last night, uh, as well as Terrence Ferguson, who we could not have railed on more for a solid week. <laughs> and he, yeah. he finally had a – it was a breakout game for him uh, because he moved on the offensive end. He did some stuff. Yeah. He dribbled the ball. You know, he took shots. He had that offensive rebound, dribbled out to three, and took the corner three and made it, and I just about fell over. I was like, <laughs> who is that? Like, what just happened? Because the Terrence Ferguson of the last five weeks would have never, ever, 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 ever done that. Because he was always looking to pass, always looking to for somebody else to do it. And last night, he changed that. He was 5 of 10. This is the first time he's taken double-digit shot shots this season. 5 of 10 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3. Eight threes. Good job, Terrence. Eight threes is great. 13 points, an assist, and a rebound. He was awesome. And that's the kind of stuff that we had hoped for and kind of expected of him heading into the season. And we finally just see it once, and it might just be because they played the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, playing against... Uh, a team that plays only on offense, uh, because I'm reluctant reluctant to to call it defense. <laughs> the thing that they do in the in their half court, it's so bad. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's really embarrassing. Um, they they really can't hold anyone in front of them. Uh, the two guards, especially, and Kevin Love is probably uninterested uh, in the defensive side. Poor Tristan Thompson, he yeah. tries. He really tries. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably the only one with Sadie uh, Osman. But but it's not enough. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, surely the defense helped. Uh, but um, but Terrence was, was aggressive. And the game didn't start the right way for him. He had a wide open tree that he missed badly. And... And from there, he decided to be more aggressive, driving at the basket, cutting at the basket, which is yep. something unusual and something that he can absolutely do mm-hmm. uh, with that athleticism. Maybe he cannot sustain contact at the rim, but if he has a straight line drive, he should take that route more often. And and it helps. It helps because you see the, the ball actually going to the basket and you may be in a different state of mind when you take your next three. Mm-hmm. And this is what happened. And yeah, I was really happy uh, for Ferg. He didn't have the best game defensively. Um, I think that Sexton gave him some problem. Yeah. But if I ha- if this is the balance, like being a little bit worse on defense and this better on offense, I, I would take this game over uh, uh, the only defense turn Ferguson. And back on Baisley, uh, there was a part of the article of Eric uh, on The Athletic that discussed how well Baisley um, kept in front Kevin Love, like he was able to go to slide with him with his feet. This is something that I really like about Baisley's defense, not just the blocks, not just the verticality, but the fact that he can really stay with quicker player because he can yep. really move uh, sideways. And so that part of his game, I think, will be extremely important for his development as a defensive player. Yeah, there's no question. Because I think that if you can allow him to play both forward positions, uh, I think it's okay, buddy. Oh, no, Arden's, Arden came in here. He handed me a sucker, and now he's so upset. I don't know what he's upset about. Um, okay, so, yeah, I mean, Baisley's ability to play. Sorry, everybody. 
um, to play both forward positions is kind of crucial moving forward for this Thunder team, especially since right now, and we don't know what's to come in the next few drafts, but they don't really have any big forwards that can play on the wing. And mm-hmm. I, I think that Baisley's a guy that could potentially do that, and which which is great because his, his three-point shot, I, I don't know what kind of shooter he is yet, but I know that he's a willing shooter and that he's, mm-hmm. a, he's a guy that, you know, I think could knock down a reasonable amount of threes. I don't know that he's going to be a great, ever going to be a great shooter in this league. Um, but if you're a guy that can hit like that 34, 35% from three and you can handle and you can pass and you can get to the basket and you can block shots, I mean, that's a really valuable at minimum role player. And then at maximum, like a like a fringe all star type of guy, uh, he's got the skill set to be that that type of guy. I don't know if he'll get there or not, but he's sure showing uh, some great stuff right now. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander again, man, showed a lot of poise last night. Uh, he didn't make any threes, but he continued to attack and finished with twenty points on fourteen shots, uh, two of two from the free throw line. Uh, just another solid performance. I mean, that's kind of what you'd look at last night with this team. Like that, that was a solid win, a solid team performance, uh, really from everybody. Gallo was six of twenty-one, five of eleven from three, nineteen points. Uh, he kind of struggled with efficiency-wise, but I thought that he, uh, I thought that he played well enough and hit shots in some bigger moments. Uh, and then, really, the only news to come out of last night is Nerlens Noel rolled his ankle, uh, played nine minutes and rolled his ankle. And then we got to see some Mike Muscala uh, for eight minutes last night. He hit, he was two of four from three. And so that was kind of fun for Mike to get in and to hit some shots. Yeah. And I think that at least for the next two games, uh, which which are back-to-back, uh, Philly and, and Brooklyn, we will see at least some Muscala. And yeah. I'm curious to see if Billy goes again with Diallo at the four, because with Noel, the spacing, it's not ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that, I'm not saying that I'm, I, I want Muscal on the court uh, right. instead of Noel, but due to the circumstances, maybe we will see more of Diallo at the four, or at least lineups with Baisley and Diallo that interchange um, their position on defense and offense, because I think that they can sustain um both in terms of uh, of defense uh, to guard, like maybe not a guy like Horford, mm-hmm. but you can slide them on Mike Scott and, and be okay with with the with the results. Uh, with Brooklyn, same same thing. Uh, of course, when Philly has all the big guys, it's not ideal not to have uh, a guy like Noel because the defense is probably what you need. But but we'll see. Uh, it's interesting at least to see if the small lineup can have any uh, success against a team like Philly. I think that in the previous game in, in OKC, they kind of used that lineup against the Sixers, and it worked. But mm-hmm. I'm, I, I am not entirely sure. Yeah, I like Diallo as, kind of, as the backup four. I think he's really interesting in that way because he's aggressive enough, uses his athleticism enough to where I think that he can hold up there defensively. And then on offense, he's just uses such explosion that I think that he, when he gets to the rim, he's really hard to defend. And so, and he, he had that move last night where he stole the ball where Cleveland's just kind of lazily inbounding the ball and mm-hmm. he grabs it and just throws down this dunk. That was just crazy. 
And that's just kind of a demoralizing moment for the Cavs and Cavs fans at that point. Cause you're like, man, we can't even inbound the ball. And um, I think that that's it's it was just such an interesting moment to watch uh, just because, you know, the Cavs were struggling. And then that's the kind of thing that Hami brings every night is that he's just going to do something. You don't know what it's going to be. It's not the same thing every night, but he brings just such a incredible amount of energy that something's going to happen like that on almost every night that he plays and I think that's a it's a big deal. And, you know, I think that Nader does deserve a, a chunk of minutes here because he did play so well when Hami was out and even when Ferguson was out. He played mm-hmm. really well. Um, but it is nice to have Hami out, who have Hami back in the game because I think that he is a guy that I think going forward, the Thunder can see a path to him being a rotation player. Yeah, I mean, he was solid. He was really solid shooting the ball particularly well in in, uh, in a lot of games. And so surely it would be nice to see him back on the court. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the thing that Hami does on the court are just loud. And like sometimes loud doesn't mean good. Mm-hmm. But you cannot deny the effect that that, that play, that dunk, that steal and dunk uh, had on, on Cleveland. Yeah, They were really trying to, to make that like to make it a game. And after that dunk, they basically were dead, yeah. <laughs> like completely dead. And sometimes a loud play can, can, can do that for you, especially if in the rest of his minutes on the court, he's use, useful on both ends. Mm-hmm. He's not like completely reckless. He sometimes he goes on a hard drive, which you probably don't want him to, to do because it's one against two and probably there's a pass to be made that is, that leads to a better shot. But you can accept that if you get sustainable defense and sometimes you get plays like that. Uh, that baseline dunk that he had in the, in the first half was really, really good on that Scalinari pass. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, Hami is just fun, fun to watch. And again, if his defense becomes really sustainable uh, and like above average on every night, he is an NBA player uh, and a good rotation player, period. Hey, Thunder fans, it's time to take your game to the next level with MidFirst Bank and the Thunder Rewards credit card. As the exclusive provider of the Thunder credit card, MidFirst is bringing you a chance to score big. For a limited time, you can earn a $150 bonus when you apply for the Thunder Rewards credit card and spend $1,000 in the first 90 days. Apply today at midfirst.com forward slash Thunder Offer and deepen your Thunder pride today. Midfirst Bank is proud to be the official bank of the Oklahoma City Thunder and the exclusive provider of the Thunder Visa credit cards, debit cards, and gift cards. Be Thunder proud every time you make a purchase. Apply today with your Thunder Rewards credit card at midfirst.com forward slash Thunder Offer and make every purchase with Thunder Authority. Yeah, who has like another year left on like one and a half million. Which, yeah, which is... If you can have a guy like that, especially this season, which, I mean, I would say this team is a playoff team, you know, barring some, some crazy trades in which... You know, I still think that there's a good chance that Gallo gets gets dealt, but everybody else, I think everybody else stays. And even with Gallo gone, uh, it definitely knocks things down a bit. And it also depends on where he goes. If they send Gallo to Portland, 
you know, that, that, that changes the equation quite a bit. Uh, or if you send them to Phoenix, that changes the equation quite a bit. But if you send them elsewhere and, you know, the, the Blazers and the Suns don't level up a little bit, I think that it's, it's nice. It, it, you know, this Thunder team can stay where they're at. I mean, there are full five games above 500. They are currently two games back of the sixth seed. And they're five and a half games up on the eighth seeded uh, Portland Trailblazers, so it's it they just continue to kind of roll here, and that's that's a hefty enough lead. It's not it's not big enough to where they couldn't fall out eventually um, if they do make a couple trades that kind of knock themselves out of this. But I think kind of the the message that I would send to people is like just enjoy this, enjoy this season, enjoy this Thunder run. Because uh, I I think it might be a little bit of time before you see another one like this, and frankly, when you do see another one like this, it'll be better than this too. Like right now, they're five games above five hundred. That's great. You know, I think you know the next run you'll see them fifteen games above five hundred, and it may be a minute before you see that. But you know, for now, let's let's enjoy this team. They're really fun. They play together. They play cohesively. They play the way that Billy wants them to play, and uh, I think that. You know, I think the fan base has noticed and has really enjoyed that so far. You said that Gallo is probably the only one that gets dealt if if he's if he's dealt somewhere. Um, I'm proposing a trade to you, and I want to hear what you say. Okay. Um, Philly receives Gallinari, Schroeder, and Nils Noel. Oh. OKC gets Horford, mm-hmm. Mike Scott, Matisse Thybul, and probably another asset. Yeah. I need a pick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get a pick. I'm not sure which one. Uh, it's probably a first in 2021. Yeah. So tell me again what, what the deal is. Um, OKC gets Horford, Scott, and Tybal, plus okay. a 2021 first-round pick. And Philly gets Gallo, Dennis, and Noel. Hmm. Oh man, Horford's deal is so big. Yeah, because then you have Horford yeah. and Chris Paul's deals. I just don't know yeah. if I. I just, and it's to me the deal is not sweetened enough to do that. Twenty twenty four. Give me twenty twenty one and twenty twenty four. That Horford deal is is swapping twenty twenty four and unprotected and picking twenty twenty one. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <clears throat> I I would understand swapping Chris Paul and Horford and getting assets back where you're just like, you flip Russell and you got Chris Paul and assets. Now you flip Chris and you get Al Horford and assets. And like, you just continue to just, you know, get this treasure trove of assets. I don't, I don't love. And also it's, you're swapping out like big contracts that last a long time, you know? Yeah. I don't love swapping short-term contracts like Gallo and Schroeder for a long-term contract in Horford, if that makes sense. Cause then you've got, then you're tied into Chris Paul and Al Horford, which in a year or two from now, even a year from now, like those are hard mm-hmm. to move. I think Chris Paul, you, I still think you can move Chris Paul in the summer. I don't know if Horford is the same. I don't know if, if, if you can still move him in and his number is a lot easier to get to. It's like 10 million yeah. less. Yeah, but, but still, that's that's a hard like you have twenty eight million, twenty five million, thirty eight million all tied up in Adams, Paul, and Horford. I think that's 
It's kind of a yeah, difficult but Ad- proposition. Adams next year. I, I think that you do that move if you want to make all the big that you keep in tr- through your rebuild, and if he's okay with that. Um, yeah. Because Adams goes off the books in 2021, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very good thing for a contract. Same with Schroeder. That's why I'm not... I don't love this trade, but I think it's worth discussing because Philly really needs, uh, I think, a, a ball handler and another spacer. Um, and so if you if you say, well, I will be through the rebuild, we'll be here through the rebuild, and next yeah. year I will trade Steven, mm-hmm. I think that make a certain sense because mm-hmm. um, you can really build a way to play with Shea and, and Horford, which makes sense. I like basketball it. wise. I, I, I like Al Horford. I've been trying to get Al Horford here for a long time. I just, I just didn't think it would be with this team, you know, and I guess yeah. it does. I mean, and that keeps your playoff hopes there. Oh yeah. You know, it doesn't, it, and it, is not bad. That was I mean, good. I like he, him. I like him a lot. He can be. Yeah. He can be really good with Shea. Can you imagine that backcourt with two really smart defender and and Thibault shooting? It's not maybe um, it will not be a pull up threat or or something like that. But I think it could be solid enough uh, as a spot up threat where yeah. you can make him as your uh, pairing for Shea. Oh. Um, well, I mean, he's like I don't know. he's like the perfect guy to uh, take the place of the Tabosafalosha and <laughs> the yeah. under Robertsons and the Terrence Fergusons that have come before him. You know, like that's that's who Matisse is. And I, I mean, we both like he's shooting forty three percent from three somehow. How many attempts over over the last ten games? Um, I don't know. Is he Let taking a lot? Not. Not very few. Um, 2.2 per game. 46.3% over the season. Wow. That's yeah. uh, that's kind of wild. It's weird. 66% from the line, but very few attempts. Uh, it's 67 trees total, so not that much. Yeah, but not not a... I mean, that's not a crazy low number. That's how many no, points he would get here, probably. I mean, that's... I don't know. That's He's, int- he's a really interesting player that... I would be shocked if Sam didn't like, you know, I would be floored if that wasn't a guy that Sam liked. So, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting deal. I just need to, to take on those years. Cause right. That's like a get out of jail free card for the Sixers. You Mm -hmm. know, you get Gallinari, you get Schroeder who, I mean, right now the guys that they're playing, they're playing Howell Neto and Trey Burke. At those spots, yeah. And Trey Burke, like Trey Burke, has played well this season. That's that's wonderful. I mean, the upgrade from Burke to Schroeder is is pretty significant. And yes. so that I mean, that would be a great deal. And they get Nerlens back, bring him back to Philly, baby. One of the process players. Yeah, that's that is not necessary. I think that the deal goes through even if you include Patton where Sixers can save a little bit of money because of his unguaranteed well, Justin Patton uh, played for the Sixers too. So send him back. Yeah. Send him back. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that with Gallinari, with Embiid, with Simmons, uh, you really need another big man. But if they, if they feel... They, they also have Kylo Quinn that can fit in for a yeah. few minutes where Embiid rests. So 
I think that this trade makes some sense. And would you do the same deal with Tobias Harris in place of Al Horford? Uh, and no, Mike Scott. I'd assume because you don't you need don't need to him. include. Yeah. So Tobias Harris, Matisse Tybel. I don't know if they do that because then there's too many. They have too many forwards. Yeah, probably so. It's uh, I, I it's don't interesting because like you have you you bring back the Tobias Harris, Danilo Gallinari, the Clippers team back together. Yeah, when they didn't work, basically, and as soon as they traded Tobias, they started to work much better. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, because I mean they both play the same position. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't think you can sustain. Um, I would say uh, you cannot sustain Horford and Gallo. Maybe you sustain Tobias and and, and Gallo because of the defense that you have around them. Like Simmons, yeah. Richardson, and Embiid makes up for a crazy good defense. Yeah. What about I getting Chris? What about getting Chris Paul to the to the yeah. Sixers? That's something that people I, keep bringing up. So like Danny Larue and um, Sam Vecini. Sam Vecini had a podcast yeah. where it was really funny because now the talk flipped from man, are the Thunder ever going to be able to deal Chris Paul to now, like, who are the Chris Paul suitors? And who should take yeah. on this contract? And yes. how far Since underwater is picks. this? <laughs> yeah, right. How far underwater is this Chris Paul contract really? Well, not really that much. And it's, it's just funny because he's yeah. played so well. And, like, the general consensus now is not only did the Thunder get picks in the Westbrook trade, but I a lot of people have been saying they got the better player. And those two guys did who watch more basketball than I do. And so it's just that's just an interesting perspective from some guys that kind of nationally cover the NBA. Um, and, I mean, Chris Paul would help that Sixers team this season a tremendous amount. I don't know what the trade is. Because you can it, do the same. Same trade with Paul and Noel mm-hmm. for Horford, Scott, and, and Thibault. And probably... Again, a pick and a swap. I don't think yeah. the value is crazy different. Probably but not. They, they need they need Chris Paul way more than 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 Schroeder and and Gallinari. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they need. I mean, they they need somebody to close games, and that's mm-hmm. what Chris Paul is. I mean, you go back and look at the streak that the Thunder have had, where they're winning all these close games. It's because Chris Paul is one of like the five best closers in the league this season. And it's been out of necessity for the Thunder because they've played a ton of close games. But it's still pretty wild that Chris Paul is who he is at this stage in his career. Um, yeah. It's it's crazy. And it gives, I mean, they they need somebody like that on, on this team. Because I think that he can kind of teach Ben Simmons a lot you know, at this point in his career. And then you give Joel... Can you teach him how to shoot mid-range jumpers? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he, he, Chris Paul is like the best in the league from the mid-range. Um, but I think that he... I mean, Chris, we've seen it. Like, he instills a confidence in some of these guys that not a lot of guys could do. I think he gives that confidence to Shea... I think he gives it to Baisley. I think he did that same thing for Nader. Uh, 
I think that he just that's the kind of leader that he is. And year after year, he continued to like be voted as like the best leader in the NBA. And you know, as as an outsider looking in, or somebody that just hated Houston or hated that Clippers team so much, you're like, that guy's a leader. Like he just complains at every call and just does you know blah blah blah. But you as somebody who has a closer look now, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> I completely get it because he's, he's been awesome. And that, that six, that Sixers team that got pummeled the other night, like they, they need some leadership. They need somebody to step up. And if I'm a Sixers fan who went through the process, I don't know how excited I am to bring a 35 year old Chris Paul onto my team. That's making $40 million. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, then probably OKC has to make some side trades where they really have to move Gallo then because otherwise their roster doesn't make any single sense. Uh, you cannot no. play Horford, Gallo, and Adams. <laughs> no. Um, no. Because they are too good to be at the same time on the court. Right. And so you either deal Adams somewhere or you deal Horford or, or, you, deal, or you deal Gallo or... You find a third team that really likes Al Horford, for example, the Celtics. Oops, nope, that that you probably cannot do. Um, it becomes that's I, just I just don't know that the Thunder and maybe they would do it because they've said they would take on long term salary, but mm-hmm. taking on another just massive contract that lasts for so long. I mean, for like three more years after this for Horford, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. And yeah. then you're tasked with having to trade a lot of big money contracts that have a lot of years on them. And if Al Horford gets hurt, I mean, that it just puts the Thunder in just a really tough spot. You know, and if you listen to Thunder After Dark, you, sh- you should go listen to it. It's really, really interesting uh, with Justin Rowan, uh, who writes for Fear of the Sword, and John Hamm. They talked about kind of the options that the Cavs have in dealing players. And that mm-hmm. they signed Kevin Love to trade him, essentially. You know, what, yeah. something that we've kicked around about uh, Gallinari. But then he got hurt for like a whole season and yeah. just tanked his trade value. And now he's seen largely as a negative asset and somebody that if they could just do a straight salary swap that gives them cap relief, they should probably do it. And if you're the Thunder, you don't want to find yourself in those type of situations because they're in asset accumulation mode right now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think that dealing Gallo is, could definitely be something that's still very much on the table. Although I think it would be much to the chagrin of the Thunder fan base today. Uh, but the truth is he's an expiring contract. If you can't get a deal signed with him uh, in the next, you know, several, couple months or really next month or so, then you know you're gonna ha- you're gonna have to try to trade him, and that trade deadline is coming up. We're like a month and a week or something away from it, or yeah, really less than that. So we're about a month away, and so there you're gonna see there. I, th- I still think it's likely we see some movement from the Thunder, not mm-hmm. as much. You know, preseason it's like okay, well they're probably finding a landing spot for Gallinari and for Schroeder, and they're probably gonna use the you know expiring contract of Andre Robertson to do something and. You know, Terrence Ferguson shouldn't feel safe, and Stephen Adams may be on the block. And you know, Chris Paul has always been a guy that we thought would stick around, but you know, you may see 
much more limited deals. Um, but I do like the idea of trading Gallinari. I don't love the idea of t- trading Gallinari and Truder to get somebody back because mm-hmm. then I do think that knocks them down pretty significantly. But if you can trade a guy like Gallinari and bring a guy like Al Horford back, I think that that makes sense for them to continue to kind of build on. And with you know with the Al Horford contract comes significant assets because you're taking on three years of that contract. But, you know, I think something like that makes a little bit of sense. Um, and, yeah. and you keep – and you stay as good as you are. Yeah, and and again, if if it is Chris Paul for Horford and and, and Filler, you can always see this as OKC traded Russell Westbrook, got four first round pick and two swaps for Al Orford and Matisse Thybul, basically. Yeah, that's a great return, even if Al Orford is on a bad but not horrible contract. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. And Horford has discussed how uh, frustrated he is with that yeah. team. And they're going to, I mean, you just feel like they're going to have to do something that's a big change in Philly because you look up and down the roster and I I really like Embiid. I think that he's one of one of the game changers in the NBA yeah. and yeah. somebody you're going to have to deal with. But you've got to have good perimeter talent. And Ben Simmons just has not taken that step forward that you would have hoped. And Josh Richardson is not ready to be anything more than like a high-level starter, and so from there, uh, you're you're kind of in a tough position where you really miss Jimmy Butler, <laughs> and you maybe really wish you didn't you know give up all these assets to get all these guys uh, that you would have you know stuck with the process a little bit more. But they find themselves in a position where they're going to need to do something, and the Thunder, who can remain patient. Calm, cool, collected. No, oh, we're winning. We're doing great stuff. We don't need to worry about this. Oh, you want Chris Paul? Okay. That's, oh, well, yeah, let's discuss it. Yeah, we're, we're going to need, you know, a, a significant amount back if you want him. Because he's helping us a ton. I don't know about you guys, but he's helping us a ton. And we really love the value that he's bringing to the organization. And I know we could, he could bring it to you too, but it's, it's going to come with a price. And everybody thought the Thunder are going to have to expend first-round picks to get rid of him. I mean, people were saying the Thunder are going to have to use two first-round picks to get rid of Chris Paul. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, well, they'll have to spend the first-round picks that they had to, uh, you know, that they got in the trade with the with Chris for Russell Westbrook. But, you know, it's kind of a, a wash in that kind of way. It's like, no. At this point, the Thunder are just sitting pretty. Five games above 500. We're in the West playoffs. You know, it's going to take a lot for any of these guys, for Chris, for Steven, for Gallinari, for Schroeder. It's going to take a lot. You're going to have to offer a lot because right now we're going to see some benefit. We're going to get some playoff gate here in OKC. And so to to help offset that, you're going to have to give us something pretty significant for us to move one of these guys. And so that's it, the Thunder are just in a great spot when it comes to their current players and the current assets that they are. I mean, everybody's kind of at an all-time high, uh, especially when you're talking about Schroeder uh, and Chris Paul at the age that Chris Paul is. I mean, it's it's kind of unreal. And so I, I think that he could help a ton of teams out there, uh, including the Sixers, who seem to be a team that's kind of desperate to uh, to make a, a move to, to help them a little bit. Yeah. 
we are recording like Sunday afternoon slash night here, and yeah. I almost had an heart attack watching the score of Knicks and Clippers. 45-29 after the first quarter. Sorry. This was kind of unprompted, but... Uh, well, did you, see, Knicks... did you see the article on ESPN? No, I didn't. So Montrez Harrell was talking to the media, and Jay sent me this sent me a, a text about it asking if it was real but Montrez was like yeah we're not a good team this is oh. not this is not a great team oh okay and we have well, a lot of we have a lot of work to do and this you know we're not who everybody thinks that we are wow well taking on 45 from the Knicks kind of bones well with that 45 points in a quarter it is such a last year's thunder thing to do yeah, to, t- to take on forty-five points from the Knicks in the first quarter. I mean, that's it is such a last year's Thunder thing to do, and a the mentality of we're too cool for school kind of thing. And we dealt with this all last year. Like somebody, some people have gotten mad at me. I sent a, a tweet out about how you know watching watching this Thunder team compete every night is really refreshing because it's not the way it was the last two seasons. Somebody was like, oh, I hate that about you, that you have to say stuff like that. But I mean, it's, it's, it's just, that's just the honest truth, is that that mm-hmm. team, they showed up and thought that the, jer- the last name on the back of their jersey was going to do the job for them. And then you realize that you're playing other pros, and it didn't. That was the whole Russ, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony era was – We've put in the work, and now the name on the back of our jersey is going to do the work for us. And then when it didn't, they'd have to scrape and claw there at the end of the game to like barely beat a team like the Knicks. And there may be some of that going on with the Clippers too, because I mean you've got Kawhi that's just riding high off of his, you know, title, and you know, I mean the I I, I don't know that we really even look at the Kawhi Leonard move enough, because the dude won a title. They gave him everything that he could have ever needed in Toronto. They took care of him. They they dealt with his family or whoever else, his agent, and just said, yep, we'll do whatever you want to do. You got it on a silver platter. And he still said, cool, won the title for you. I'm going to L.A. And I'm taking people with me. It's just like, I don't know. I mean, if that was if LeBron did that, then everybody would lose their mind about it yeah, and freak out yeah. and just hate him. And there'd be, it would just be madness, but because it was Kawhi and the guy says five words all season, it's like, Oh, Oh, good for him. Good for him. What? Yeah. Like, this is crazy. It's crazy. And you know, and now there's these weird quotes coming from Harold now who, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you look at Harold's stats, like he's easily the sixth man of the year when you look at his stats, but you know, he's, um, speaking out like that. I don't know that that's the sixth man then. Like if you're talking about somebody that's helping your team, you don't, you don't ever want somebody going to the media and say, yeah, we're not a great team and we're not, we're not doing the right things. And I mean, it's just like, Whoa, those are kind of shocking quotes to look at from, yeah. from a Clippers team yeah. that is was looked at as the favorite heading into the season. Yeah, and they probably are in terms of raw talent, if you uh, if you want. But um, yeah, I mean, you have to do it. 
at some point you have to do it. That's why going back to the Sixer and to, um, to the past version of the Thunder, I don't really like the narrative where you see, well, yeah, they're trying a bunch of things. They are not interested in the regular season. That's, that's not right. Like yeah. you have to do it night in and night out. You can lose a lot of games doing the right thing, but you cannot lose games in a certain way. And I'm going back to um, some very uh, bad memory uh, in OKC. Like the 15-16 season was so bad because they kept underperforming yep. in crucial moments of the regular season. Mm -hmm. Like they were up big and then they somehow destroyed their lead and lose against like a bunch of teams, a bunch of good teams. Uh, San Antonio. Um, and then in game six, it happens that this, the exact same thing. Yep. They were up, up big. And yes, it was clay game. Clay's was insane. But in the last five, six minutes of the games, they were unable to play basketball just as much as in the regular season. I do think that the regular season carries a huge value in terms of repetition in terms of getting used to do certain stuff night in and night out because then when you face harder stuff in the playoffs you at least have a good base of what you can do like like of certainty of stuff that you don't have to think about you just do them you don't have to go to another gear and if you go to another gear is to top that level into something different different yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if you, you, there are examples of teams that did different stuff, like the Cleveland Cavaliers that, that won the title, probably they didn't have the greatest regular season because they have the single most impactful player of the last 20 years. And when he rested, the team wasn't good. And guess what? If he wasn't like a, a hair below the level uh, in which he was in the playoffs, that team doesn't win a title because mm -hmm. it was just LeBron James. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Um, to me, the regular season carries a huge value, and um, and it's certainly um, a ring, like some alarm that rings uh, in Clippers land. Um, the, the last few games where they are unable to to play a certain level of basketball. I, I watched uh, a couple of possession, well, a couple of quarters in, of the game was against Memphis. Uh, I think it was uh, two days ago. Mm -hmm. And it was bad. Um, so I don't yeah. see any difference here in the scoreboard. Uh, yeah, we're almost, halfway, we're almost halfway through the season and the Thunder are only four games back of the Clippers. It's, it's weird. <laughs> that, says it's an, weird. that says a lot about both teams. It's not just... Yeah. The Clippers or the Thunder. I mean, it says a lot about both, um, which is really interesting. Uh, so the Thunder do sit two games back of the Mavericks. Do you think there's any chance that the Thunder finish higher than the Mavericks? Um, I don't know. Uh, it really ask me in ten days. Yeah, because if they somehow pull together a fifty percent January, mm -hmm. they will be dangerous in terms mm -hmm. of playoff seeding because the rest of this of the schedule in January is particularly hard. Mm -hmm. And so if they can get through that and still be, I don't know, five, six games above 500 mm -hmm. at the end of January, so again, going roughly 50%, then I do think there is a chance because the, the back end 
of the season, February and March, are much easier. Mm-hmm. And so I think that they can go easily 50, 60 or 70% in those months. And so um, much much like they did in, in December. So yeah. it really depends on how they perform in the next few few games. Well, and I don't even know that I want them to perform that well because it would put them in position to lose their pick. Yeah, for this yeah. for this next year. Because I mean, I said was that it almost it was like over a week ago on a podcast. Yeah, there's no way that they're going to lose their pick. Like right, right now, they're two games away from losing their pick. <laughs> That's where they are. Yeah. So they have to end the season with a better record right now than Indiana, Philadelphia, and Dallas, which was a was way further out of reach before they won, you know, five in a row. It's like, okay, I didn't, didn't see this coming. I did not see this nine out of 10, you know, happening actually. I thought, you know, you sprinkle in some losses in there and they're like seven and three, you know, which is still great, which is, which I still think that we'd be talking some great things about this team, but um, nine of 10 is wild. And to, to have beaten teams like the Mavericks, uh, is is a big deal, and the Thunder do play the Mavs again at home here coming up, uh, which is another big game because it will determine that will help determine some playoff seating uh, yes. for the Thunder, and so that's a, it's a big matchup. I didn't think that we'd get to January and February and we'd talk about big matchups, but they are. I mean, the Thunder when they match up against Portland here pretty soon, uh, when they beat the Spurs, that was a big one. Uh, when they match up against the Mavericks and the Jazz and those teams. Like, those are big matchups. You know, it's yeah. not as big of a matchup to play teams like Los, the Lakers and Nuggets and Rockets and Clippers because I think those are going to be the top four seeds in the Western Conference. But mm-hmm. when you're talking about seeding of the lower half, the Thunder have put themselves in position where it's like, oh, it's, it's not a crazy stretch to say that they could jump up to the sixth seed to this Mavericks team that is, is still – they're their leader is still really inexperienced when it comes to the NBA. And so that, that could still happen, uh, which would be wild, which would put the thunder just in the destiny. I'm just going to, I'm not going to call it uh, anything but a destiny matchup against the Houston Rockets, (laughs) which, yeah. (laughs) And again, I think if you look at the next 10 games at Philly, at Brooklyn versus Houston versus the Lakers at Mini versus Toronto versus Miami versus Portland at Houston at Orlando. This stretch is brutal. If they go two and eight, I wouldn't be surprised. If they go five and five, I'd be surprised. I think that they end up probably winning three or four, Mm -hmm. especially if they can snag one in this back-to-back and probably one between uh, Minnesota, Toronto, and Miami and probably one between Portland and Orlando. Yeah. Um, and then they are right at 500, which mm-hmm. means they will be probably still the, the seventh seed, and but in great, maybe and in a great position. Away. Yeah. Because after that, after that pretty brutal stretch, things get quite a bit easier for them. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, this is another, I mean, we talked about kind of weathering the storm of the November, December. This is the next one, the early January, yes. Philly, yes. Brooklyn, Houston. Lakers. I mean, of those four, I mean, it, they may be one and four, or one and yeah, one one and three, out of out yeah. of those four. I mean, it's the Lakers team is really good. Houston has been playing really, really well lately. Yes, but they do have the benefit of having 
the more difficult games at home. So Houston, the Lakers, Toronto, Miami, Portland, all those are at home. Yes. And so you think out of those five, if you could snag two of those, two mm-hmm. two out of five, I think that you're you put yourself in a really good spot. because uh, those are <laughs> those are tough. You know, Toronto, the Thunder beat Toronto in Toronto, that was a huge win. Uh, but that's still a good team and a really, really great coach team. And they, you know, the Thunder won by the skin of their teeth there. Uh, Miami is tough. I, I'm really excited to see Miami because I think that's like, Me a, too. that's a really good measuring stick for this team. I think we're going to see because everybody's like, oh, how this has been great. This has been really fun. I mean, like, the reality is the Thunder have had a pretty cush schedule out of the, the this last stretch. They beat Chicago, they beat Memphis, they beat Phoenix. They beat the Clippers, which was a great win. Even They had Paul George, so it was a good win. They lose to Memphis, which was just kind of a brutal loss. And you look back and say, like, Memphis is the only one that they lost. Like, come on. Like, they could have had, like, a really crazy streak here. But then they beat Charlotte. It took overtime to beat Charlotte. That's not a very good team. Uh, Toronto. They beat Toronto in Toronto by one. They beat Dallas at home uh, in a really close game. They beat San Antonio in a close game. And that they, was a good win, though. It was a very, very good win. I mean, that's yeah, that's a that was a great win. And then mm-hmm. they destroy Cleveland. Yeah. And so this is not the it's not the craziest schedule. No, um, it isn't. Especially OPC. with that, they had some rest. Like they they rested from uh-huh. uh, December the twenty third up until December the twenty seventh. Now, um, starting tomorrow, they will go into. Um, 10 games in 15 days, mm-hmm. which is which is brutal. It's 1.5 game a day, which is like. And it's likely tough. it's likely that you know Chris and Gallo don't play all of those games. Yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, both or at least one of the two will sit against Brooklyn. Yeah, I was gonna say Brooklyn's a really interesting yeah. test to see if if they'll actually sit them, which I I kind of hope they do. I kind of hope yeah, that they'll too. sit them, and it's also those are big opportunities for guys like Shea to to learn in situations like, with a team like Brooklyn, who's it's, they're okay, like they're so good, it's a pretty good team. They're not a great team, um, but to give just say, all right, Shea, you go, you can go do this, and Chris is going to sit out, and you're going to take the reins, and you intruder, go figure it out. I, I think that would that's a good situation for them, and then you let Chris rest, you know, from, from Tuesday until Thursday uh, and to get ready for, for Houston, which is also a big game for him. Um, you excited about the return of Russell Westbrook to OKC? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, in the next few years, we will be able to appreciate much better what, what Russ did here um, in a, in a more, in a better way, because I think that we all know what he meant for the city. And but now we are still in the is he better than Chris Paul, um, which is natural. I mean, we are kind of wondering uh, if OKC made the right move, if that uh, um, if Houston made the right move. Mm-hmm. But in a few years, we will just sit back and watch those crazy highlights. Maybe watch a few games where it was where it was going like beast mode. And and we just appreciate how, how great of a player he is. And so, yes, I'm excited. I think that it will be 
a sensational game, uh, exciting, probably with a lot of feelings involved. And so, yeah, I'm probably not able to watch live because it's uh, it's too early, uh, 3.30 a.m. Yeah. But maybe I'll catch up the second part live. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to be so weird. Because, I mean, you have guys like Nate Jones, who have, I'm sure most NBA fans follow him. Uh, Jones yeah. on the NBA uh, tweeted this morning, who's having a better year? Chris Paul or Russ? And then he answers the question. He said, it's Chris Paul. He said, okay, so he got the better player, the better contract, and got picks and swaps to do it. And you're right. It is it is hard because I thought that we would go into this season, the Thunder would find a way to trade these guys, the Thunder would have kind of a, a, have a very down year, and we'd look over at Houston and be like, man, like look at Russ go. Like this is really that's I'm glad that he gets to go do his thing. Instead, it's like, oh, we've got a team too. And we're gonna get to do some stuff with these guys. And Chris Paul's having a sensational season. And, you know, this is this is how you know the Thunder are gonna go about this season. Now it is very much there's when you talk about the Thunder, the conversation nationally is, well, did the Thunder just get the better deal out of this in total? Is that what happened? And that's that's how people talk about OKC right now. When people yeah. talk about this team, like, of course, Shea is one of the big things that's mentioned, and he should be because he is a future star. And I felt very mm-hmm. tentative about saying that preseason and even in at the beginning of the season. I was like, yeah, like I, I think so. But, I mean, he's a future star. He's shown enough, in my opinion, uh, to say that yeah, this guy he will he'll play in All Star games like that that will happen, uh, and you know it's it's wild that this is where we're at where you have national you know guys that cover the NBA or follow it closely enough or agents or whoever they they're watching too and noticing which it's just such a weird season and Thursday night in OKC will will capitalize that in a uh, very very strange degree. Yeah, it will be strange, weird, and probably the perfect closure of, uh, or at least the initial closure of what the first chunk of of OKC history has been in terms of basketball. Yeah. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew K. Schlecht. You can follow our podcast at Down to Dunk. Follow Michele on Twitter at Mikey Barra. He's got... Some great post-game tweets. If you're not following them, then you are not as smart as I am because I get to read them, and I become a smarter Thunder and NBA fan every single time I do. So please go check those out. Listen to Thunder After Dark as well at patreon.com backslash OKC Dream Team. We're thankful for The Athletic. Make sure that you're subscribed to that too. Go read Eric Horn's stuff. It's always spectacular. Hope you guys have a great Monday, and we'll talk to you guys again on Wednesday.